0: And in life, of course, just the way I'm speaking right now, you could never write this down and make any sense of it. But when we speak it, we can actually help the listener follow the idea, regardless of how ungrammatic we are or whatever it happens to be. And figuring that stuff out is amazing. And so I'm constantly asking them to look at life. And I think that's what Shakespeare's writing. He's writing something that's so much more closely aligned to David Mamet, say, than to Ben Jonson
1: in some ways. Hello and welcome to The State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer.
2: And I'm Jim Elliott.
1: And today on the program we have Ray Chambers. Hello, Ray. Hello. Ray Chambers has worked as an actor for over two decades and has been the director of the Master of Fine Arts and Professional Actor Training Program at the Alabama Shakespeare Festival from 2001 to 2009 and is currently the head of acting at the Old Globe University of San Diego Graduate Theater Program.
0: Yeah, it's quite a mouthful and it's harder to write, actually, to <laughs> say, so,
1: <laughs> Well, you've directed two of the country's top classical actor training programs, and I wonder if you might share your experience at ASF and your experience at the Old Globe. Rick Sear is actually the director
0: of the Old Globe University of San Diego program. And so I'm head of acting, but I don't have to make all the hard decisions about things. So I get to learn from him and we collaborate on lots of different things. But but the great thing about the program is we have a very small core of acting faculty and we're based everything, of course, on classical theater. And when I first started at Alabama Shakespeare Festival, I started as an actor and I had absolutely no intention whatsoever of ever getting into teaching. But like most people who are doing this is saying the same thing. So the two programs are actually built off of one another. I think the Old Globe, I believe is 1986, it began as a Master of Fine Arts degree. And the year before that, Alabama Shakespeare Festival had started up their master's degree with the University of Alabama. And so I know at the time when they were putting everything together, it was Craig Knoll and Jack O'Brien who got together and said, listen, we've got a lot of fantastic students here that were selected from all over the country from graduate programs. Why don't we have our own graduate program? And that's how the old Globe came to be. And I was selected as what was called the Young Globe Company at the time, but it had some brilliant teachers.
1: And that, of course, changed my life. and. Who were some of the teachers that you had as mentors when you were at the Old
0: Globe as a student? The names that stuck out was actors such as Byron Jennings and Ken Ruta and Dakin Matthews. And they were not only teaching classes, but they were also, you know, if you bought them drinks, they would tell you anything.
1: In some cases, maybe more than you wanted to know. (laughs) Exactly. So that clearly must have had a profound impact on you as a young actor starting out. Absolutely. Up to that point, I'd been doing a
0: lot of contemporary work, even though my real love, and it was probably a secret closeted love, was of Shakespeare. Actually, I'm dyslexic, and I had a hard time reading when I was a kid, but for whatever reason, I could read Shakespeare. And that really changed things around. I think it's the form of subject-object-verb placement, and I got it. I really got it, and that changed things pretty fast for me. But I hadn't done much Shakespeare, and then when The Old Globe, they saw me in a contemporary piece, and they said, well, can you please audition for us, and and I did, and then I had no idea what world I was walking into. I was slack-jawed every day that I went to work, and listening to a dramaturg like Diana Maddox talk about the play talk about how to make those ideas clear you know i remember we spent something like 6 hours on the first page of antony and cleopatra this was like 1986 <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> those were back in the days though when you know you had wow. 6
0: weeks of rehearsal too for something you know things have changed a little bit
1: Ray, you mentioned that you were dyslexic and that Shakespeare was a way
2: into literacy for
1: you. Could you expand on that idea?
2: I would like to add one thing, that you're not the only person we've interviewed who has said similar things.
1: Yeah, I've met quite a few people who've
0: had reading problems who have gone into the theater. One of the programs in London, they say, you know, we also understand that there are lots of dyslexics out there who love to act and are very good. And we just want you to know that you're welcome here and we have ways of dealing with you. So (laughs) so, I think a lot of people recognize the idea that sometimes the way our brains work, it's very different. Shakespeare's writing these texts and the only re- what we get as far as a text goes is, you know, just scribbles on a piece of paper and it's, you know, symbols of something that happened in performance. And we forget that, I think, you know, a lot of times when an English professor is teaching, sometimes they forget the idea that it's actually meant to be performed. And yeah, for me, it was, you know, eighth grade, I couldn't really read. Okay, here's the story.
2: (laughs) That's what we're waiting for. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I
0: had a teacher who was helping me with reading. And I grew up in the Midwest, you know, in a farm community. And farmers put all their money into schools at that time. And so we had some really great teachers. But I had a, a teacher who was using these exercises for me. And one of the things was using a metronome and having me say one word at a time on a page to a metronome beat. And then one day I just went, oh, I see. You're supposed to say the words in order. I get it. So my mother had recently remarried, and uh, my stepfather took the family to a houseboat in the middle of Tennessee. And so we're, here we are in the middle of the summer, and I found that I didn't have any reading material except boat magazines. And there was one thing in the boat, though, and it was a penguin edition of Hamlet. And so in the, wow. middle, yeah, I know. So in the middle of a storm, my mother and stepfather, they went to sleep. And so he's on a cot right behind me, and I'm reading by this little oil lamp, Ham- Hamlet. And as soon as I started reading it, and I thought someone had 400 years earlier written a play about me, and that was where my love came to be for Shakespeare, and I couldn't get enough of it. You know, come to find out my stepfather wasn't Claudius at all. He was an amazing, wonderful man.
1: (laughs) Thank goodness. That's a remarkable story. It makes me wonder whether the happenstance that that book was there at that time was a life-changing accident, or whether you were predisposed to Shakespeare, and if you'd come into contact with it in another context, whether you might have had the same attraction to it. Yeah, I don't
0: know. I mean, I've thought about that. And First of all, we should leave Shakespeare's scripts laying around. Right. You know, I try to do that as much as I can now, thinking someone else is going to fall into it. But also, I've always wondered if I had seen the production before I read it, and if I had seen a bad production of it, would it? have the same effect. And I don't know. Who knows? Is it fate or not? How we become exposed to life-changing things is the sort of thing I feel as an equity actor. You know, you want to record all these plays and every play on Broadway and across the country is now being recorded and put in for archival purposes. And I'm so against that because I don't want to see those plays that changed my life.
2: Right? Yeah, because they'll change when you view it 10 years later. Exactly. I think it's always an accumulation of events that you are unaware of that lead you down a certain path. Yeah, And what Fascinates me about your story is that the teacher used a metronome with you, and the meter of Shakespeare probably seemed very familiar to you after using that metronome. It absolutely might have. You know, and this is what I do
0: with my the young actors with, with Scansion, too, is one of the first things I ask him is, okay, what is the idea? Shakespeare knocks off about half of the syllables as far as things that are going to be important to you. Some things are going to be more important than others. And then you have to find your operatives in there. Now, how would you say that in your own words? You would do a general paraphrase or a syntactical paraphrase or synonymous paraphrase or whatever it happens to be, what is it that the idea is? You know, our job is to speak an idea. The great thing about scansion is it knocks off half those syllables right there, especially monosyllabic words. The word, too, is not important in here as something else. And so, yeah, it helped me understand that not every word is important. I still try to remember that.
2: It leads me to a question, Ray, about what you see as the challenges a young actor is facing in this day and age when approaching Shakespeare.
0: Well, I think we can all agree that every generation has its own idea about what truth and beauty is. You know, when I'm in London and going to the globe and listening to the old recordings from the late 1800s, actually, of these rather famous or infamous actors who have a recording of a speech of Shakespeare. I listen to those, and my student actors are also listening to them, and they're saying, I had no idea that that would have been considered brilliant in some cases. (laughs) You know, I did the opposite, too. It's like, I had no idea that something that old could have been that brilliant. I'm working with students now, and so they also are looking at what is out there, what how is shakespeare being performed and and they're obviously in it because shakespeare means something to them or the classics mean something to them that they've had some sort of connection like i had when i was a kid that it's some sort of life-changing event and they realize this is brilliant and how do we do it how is it possible to actually perform it and what i'm finding right now is just even in a generation's time things have changed when i was listening to diana maddox you know one of the things she would say at the globe mid-80s was the idea that you need to be able to, to speak an idea or six to eight verse lines on one breath and then once people have started looking at what Peter Hall has done with the RSC and a whole school of performing Shakespeare of verse speaking people are now taking that and moving it into some sort of direction and sometimes it becomes a little absurd and it kind of goes away from life and about how we actually communicate ideas I, I love it when a student says why why in the world would you do that? You know, as far as expressing an idea. And then they start discovering some stuff on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, right now at the end of a verse line, if we're gonna honor a verse line, I mean we I mean we're so blessed to have new artistic director at the old globe, Barry Edelstein, who's you know, who wrote a book that I was using with the students a couple of years before he ever came to the globe on thinking shape it's called Thinking Shakespeare. And it really went down the line of exactly how I approach the teaching or or helping students figure out how to do verse speaking. And that's about how do you communicate an idea, a very specific idea? And in some cases, of course, we know some of Shakespeare's sentences that are quite long. So how do you get through that? You know, one of the first things I do is I have them record themselves. I have them record a conversation and figure out how, how is it that people talk? How do people put ideas together? And in life, of course, just the way I'm speaking right now, you could never write this down and make any sense of it. But when we speak it, we can actually help the listener follow the idea regardless of how ungrammatic we are or whatever it happens to be. And figuring that stuff out is amazing. And so I'm constantly asking them to look at life. And I think that's what Shakespeare's writing. He's writing something that's so much more closely aligned to David Mamet, say, than to Ben Johnson in some ways. I have no idea if I just answered anything (laughs) like that.
2: (laughs) <laughs> You're doing Pericles, yes? Yes. Pericles is one of the least well-known plays in the canon. What? Why did you choose to do that production?
0: First of all, it is one of the lesser known. And that's what I found so exciting this weekend because we opened on Saturday night and I'm sitting in the audience and listening to a packed house watch a show that no one's ever seen before or a story that few have heard. Ed, well fascinating was listening to the the audience response as it was going through of how they were following the story and of course for a director that's where you're going oh thank god (laughs) (laughs) but what was fascinating was listening to as i was walking out of the theater just listening to other people say have you ever seen that before? And people saying, no, 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 I've never I've never even read it, or I didn't even know he wrote a Pericles. And then to hear them say things such as, why haven't we ever heard this story before? Why haven't we ever seen this story before? And that's why I wanted to do it. I mean, there's only a couple of Shakespeare's that I haven't done, and Pericles was one of them. It also happens to line up beautifully with having more females in a cast. Oh. As you know, finding great roles for women in Shakespeare can sometimes be difficult. Sometimes you have to rewrite something or change something around in so that someone has some challenge in front of them. But in this case, the play has more female characters than most other things that he's written. And so that was on my short list simply because of the casting abilities. But then also it was about I've never worked on this play before. I always say that it's whatever play I'm working on is my favorite play. But this one is shockingly beautiful. I had no idea. A lot of times, Pericles is, from what I understand, it's it's performed almost as a parody. And yes, there are plot twists in them that are remarkably unbelievable, like the romances of early Jacobean stuff. It's unbelievable plot twists, but that's the point. You know, the perseverance that they have to take on to come out on the other side. And the reconciliation scene is, I think, the most beautiful thing that Shakespeare wrote of all of his plays. And we see it coming about halfway through the play. And we watch what these characters or this family's going through. And I had no idea I would be moved. I really didn't. Because you look at the plot and you say, what? 17 different locales, six different nations, two and a half shipwrecks later.
1: And it's just beautiful. Ray, I'd like to bring it back to you and to your experience. When you graduated from the Old Globe program in the 80s, what was your expected career path? What did you envision for yourself? And what sort of advice would you have for students who are graduating from actor training programs today? I mean, one of the things that I was
0: doing was understudying. And so my job was to take someone like Byron Jennings and understudy something that he was doing and just throwing myself into it. I was trying to figure out how does Byron make that idea so remarkably clear? And it comes down to just great acting first. I mean, there are some things we can teach and some things we can't. I mean, I can't teach imagination for actors. And that's something I've noticed over the years, too. And maybe a film and TV where you're just bringing your own self and personality into the role. Yeah. Cool. But that's not what our job is. It's actually a transformative script. I can't play Ray Chambers and expect to be seen as Claudius or Hamlet or anybody else. I actually have to analyze what's going on, what's being said, how to say it, how to make that idea clear. And my advice for young actors coming out of training programs would be dive into it and never be afraid to ask a question. Actors love to talk about themselves. (laughs) And when you ask an actor, how are you doing this? They will tell you. They will tell you to the best of their ability. Someone like Richard Easton, I've been fortunate enough to be able to sit in a dressing room with him on several occasions. And as long as I asked the question in a way that wasn't going to screw around with his performance, he really wanted to talk about it. So I learned more from an actor actually doing. That's where my training came from. It's a beautiful
1: notion, too. You imagine that a young actor sitting in a dressing room listening to a seasoned actor who was once sitting in a dressing room himself with a seasoned actor from an earlier generation is part of an unbroken line of an oral history that goes right back to Shakespeare and, of course, back to the beginning of drama itself. That's right.
0: It's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Ray Chambers is the head of acting at the Old Globe University of San Diego Graduate Theater Program. Ray, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's been great being here. Thanks, Ray. I'm Garrett Vandermeer.
2: And I'm Jim Elliott.
1: And this is The State of Shakespeare. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening.